You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. I'm thankful you're here this morning. We are going to dive into God's Word. Before we do that, though, I just want to talk a little bit about um, some things on our heart uh, for the future to come. 2020 is coming. Whether you like it or not, 2020, the future is here. And um, we here at LifePoint Church, we have a very simple uh, mission. It's to equip everyday believers to live the message of Jesus. That's you, that's I, just common folk. We're we're trying to cultivate a community that's equipping people in the living gospel of Jesus Christ to live it out every day of the week. Everyday believers. And so naturally, as we do this, as we cultivate this community of missional people, naturally what will flow out of us is we will become a multiplying people. We will be a people that's sending out workers from our church on a regular basis. The uh, Castillos, Fran and Lisa Castillo, who Brandy just mentioned, people like that we sent out last spring, that will be happening on a more consistent basis. We're going to be sending people out to the nations, workers into the marketplace and into the in, into our, into our, across our country, workers representing Jesus. We're going to be a multiplying people. We're going to be planting churches in communities that don't yet have a, a full gospel church. That is the natural outflow of a people that are in tune with the living message of Jesus every day of the week. That's what happens when we become a multiplying. But that's stretching. It's, it's uncomfortable to be a multiplying people. And so we've been feeling in our hearts during the last several weeks that the time is now for us to take the next step in being a multiplying people. And so January 12, 2020, we, we have decided that we are going to begin uh, two services on Sunday mornings um, to make room for more. We, as we've seen our attendance grow on Sunday mornings as our parking lot has ran out of spots, we've, we've sensed that the time was coming. And so prayerfully, thoughtfully, our leadership team made the decision. January 12, 2020 is our Sunday. We are going to begin to the, the, the discomfort of multiplying and be becoming more and more a multiplying people, offering two services on Sunday morning, 9 and 1045. Uh, of the 140 volunteers that we have here at our church, it's going to be an extra strain, a little more stretching. But we believe as we do that, as we, as we stretch ourselves to people, it's going to make more room for people to jump on board and be activated in ministry. That happens here on Sunday morning, but then well beyond that throughout the week. Amen? So we are going to be a multiplying people. It's going to happen in one more way, January 12, 2020. So mark your calendars, and you're going to be hearing a lot about it in the weeks to come. Starting next week, we will start dispersing via email and uh, paper form here, a Q&A sheet to, to just cover our bases in terms of communicating it to you all. We want to bring everyone along. We don't want anyone to get lost in the shuffle of the transition. We want everyone to, to get our heart behind it and understand some of the logistics of how we've decided to be a multiplying church through two, through two, two services. So that'll happen next week. Keep your eye out for the Q&A uh, to hopefully uh, answer some of the questions on your mind. Awesome? Awesome. Yes. Awesome. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. As we wrap up this, this series called Culture Defined, culture is like the air that we breathe. It's like gravity. It's this unseen force that impacts everything that we do. And we've been talking about this, this now for several weeks. 
the values of our church that we believe God has stirred us to cultivate in this day, in this hour, in our church, amongst our community. These five values that we've been breaking down over the last several weeks. And this morning, we wrap it up with one last value that's close to our hearts, that is the essence of the gospel, generosity. So the very first week, we talked about the presence of God. We are a people of his presence. Central to the story of God's redemption is the fact that God did not stay distant from us. But instead, he immersed himself amongst us as Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. So central to the gospel is this understanding and this awareness of God's present reality here and now. And we live now in the age of the Holy Spirit, where Holy Spirit's not just working amongst us, but as followers of Jesus, he lives in us. And so more and more and more as people of God, we want to grow as people of his presence, to be more aware of his current present reality. Amen? You remember that week? If not, check it out on the podcast. It was great. We want to be people of his presence. Secondly, we talked about this question, who's next? We want to be a people who are always asking that question, who's next? We're never content to just be the 99 sheep. We, all, we always want to be contending for one more. God, who's next in our city? Who's that one more family member? God, I know you have, the, you have their number. You're calling them by name. Who's next? And on top of that, who's the next generation coming behind us? We never want to be so self-absorbed with our generation that we miss and forget to pa- pass the baton to the, the generation coming behind us. Who's next? After that, we talked about authenticity, this um, ethic of Jesus and the way he carried out his life and ministry amongst us. We want to be a people, and honestly, uh, it's worth it. The, 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 the world around us, they're watching for an authentic gospel. So we're contending to be a people that are authentic. Last week, Pastor Tony talked about being family. One of the primary lenses through which we look to interact with one another is not through the lens of a social club or a business, but it's as family. We relate to God as Father God. We relate to one another in this covenant idea of family. So we are family. And that that makes church a whole lot more fun when we think about each other as family. So this morning we're going to talk about generosity. John 3.16, God so loved the world. How did he demonstrate his love? God so loved the world that he gave. He demonstrated his love for humanity by giving. And we seek to be a people then that emulate that love that's been poured out upon humanity, the the generosity of heaven that's been poured out upon you and I. We seek to be a people that that are generous. Here's our main idea for this morning. We give what God gave. We are all recipients of heaven's generosity. So now we're gonna seek to give what's been given to us. And we we simply become these, these mediators, these conduits, these vessels of generosity. The Western way of thinking really loves to um, tally up our value through net worth as, as though we've accumulated in our own strength. We need to humble ourselves in this kingdom paradigm and realize that it's Father God who's entrusted it to us. He gave it all. So now we become a conduit, a vessel of generosity to give to others. We give what God gave. So let's look at this really amazing story in Luke chapter seven, verse 36, which just sets up this this uh, huge divide between two mindsets when it comes to generosity and giving. Luke chapter seven, verse 36 says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And if you were here the week we talked about authenticity, we talked about how Jesus loved to rub shoulders 
in the everyday context, gathering around in the, in the dining room, at the table. And we highlighted how Jesus loved to, to dine with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. But here Jesus accepts the invitation of a Pharisee, a religious leader, because he is no respecter of persons. And he just loves to be where we are. And so here he is at Simon the Pharisee's house, and he's reclining in, in Eastern, or sorry, in Near Eastern culture. The, the tradition would be they gather on a lower table, and to be reclined at the table means you kind of have your feet off to the side, kind of kneeling on your side with your feet um, towards behind you. So verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, and obviously we're all sinners, what Luke is trying to tell us is that she's a known public sinner, a professional sinner, a sinner by day, sinner by night. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she boldly, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Jesus answers Simon's self-talk, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And th those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What an amazing story. The stark contrast between this attitude of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and this known public sinner throwing herself at the mercy of Jesus. I want this to bring to life the day-to-day the -day mindsets of generosity. Grace has been poured out upon you and I. I stand before you as a testimony of the grace of God. And as I look across this room, I know many of you, you carry that spirit within you that knows that you are a product of simply the grace of God poured out upon your life. We give what God, what God gave. And all weekend long, I've been praying for a fresh revelation of the radical grace of God upon our church, that it would overwhelm us, that we would more closely associate with this sinful woman at the feet of Jesus, who washed Jesus' feet with her tears, with her hair. It was a shameful thing for her to do that in the eyes of of Jewish tradition, and yet there she was, so grateful, so full of gratitude, this overflow of generosity in her heart. So I wanna, I wanna set up the, the contrast that we have here pictured in this story, in this dinner party. Over here on the side of Simon and the Pharisees, 
We have these, these ones who are untrusting, that who, who kind of have this, this uh, welling up of judgmental insecurity. That's the Pharisees, the religious leaders. On this side, the, the sinful woman, we have one who is, who's willing to recognize Jesus for who he is. She's willing to recognize her need for a savior. And this, this man who maybe she had other interactions with at some other moment or saw the, the authority by which he ministered, she was undone by, the, by how set apart this man was. She was willing to recognize him for who he was and her desperate need for a savior, something other than what she had experienced thus far in her life. So we have these opposing, opposing mindsets, these opposing spirits that are re- represented in this dinner party. So I want to give them names. On this side, the religious leaders and Simon, I want to call that the mindset of poverty, the spirit of poverty, the attitude of poverty. On this side with the sinful woman, we call it the spirit of generosity. And this morning, as I talk about these phrases, these these categories of mindsets, these spirits that we carry, and when I say spirits, I'm not talking about like demonic spirits, although uh, demonic spirits are real and they, they do influence us, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying they were possessed by some spirit. I'm, I'm saying an attitude or a mindset that we carry, the spirit of poverty, the spirit of generosity. When I talk about that, I'm not talking about net worth. So remove that from your mind. When we talk about generosity, we are all invited to be conduits of generosity. Every single one of us. God has given us something to give. All of us. And so I'm not talking about net worth. Please, any offense that would arise in your heart from me only talking to you based on your net worth is, is a figment of your imagination. It's, that's a, not, not a part of this conversation. It's a spirit that we carry, regardless of our position in this life and what we've accumulated thus far. We give what God gave. So here on the, on the side of the spirit of poverty, There's kind of three faces of the spirit of poverty that I want to bring to light that I see here in this passage in Simon. One is orphaned. You see, Simon had an agenda in inviting Jesus to his house. It wasn't because he revered Jesus as Savior, as Messiah. It was actually because he had an agenda to probably poke some holes in it, to catch him. He was untrusting. You see that cynicism that was in his heart? Cynicism is a, is a fruit of this orphan spirit. And he says, well, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know who it is that's, that's washing his feet. See, orphan spirit, it's this, this uh, untrusting, uh, judgmentalism, ins- insecurity. The second face of the spirit of poverty is entitled you see this in the, in the Pharisees time and time again. Entitlement is self-righteousness. That somehow we are deserving of God's affection, of God's love, of, of his grace, which is no grace at all. In the Pharisees, and so often we ourselves were guilty of this entitlement attitude, this entitlement spirit. We see that so much in the Western world where we're so, uh, we're so proud of ourselves and our good works. That is entitlement. That's a spirit of poverty. We see that time and time again in the Pharisees. So orphaned, entitled, and last is beggar. A beggar is self-absorbed, only worried about themselves. They don't think there's going to be enough for themselves, let alone anybody else. 
We see this here in Simon. Okay, Near, Near Eastern, you know, first century Near Eastern culture, their, their ethos, their, their way of life is hospitality. And yet we see in this story the bare minimum standards of hospitality are not even met in Jesus coming into Simon's home. And why is that? Because Simon is so self-absorbed with his agenda, with him getting Jesus into his home, with him kind of having his way with this moment, whether he was excited to be seen, you know, with him in his home or whether he had an agenda to to show that he's not the Messiah, whatever it was, he was so self-absorbed that he didn't offer him oil to, to freshen up his face, offer him water to clean his feet, didn't even greet him with a kiss, the bare minimums, because he had that spirit of a beggar. He was so self-absorbed. I just hope I have enough for myself, let alone anybody else. Orphaned, entitled beggar. On the side, we have the spirit of generosity found in this sinful woman. And I'll say it again, when we say sinful woman, we're all sinful, we're all sinners, Luke is, is simply stating her, her, uh, her reputation in the community, that she was promiscuous, adulterous woman. That's what she, that was her trade, prostituting her, her body for a quick buck. That's who she was. But yet we find in her at the feet of Jesus something so beautiful, and it's the spirit of generosity, as one who is adopted, bought with a high price. We see in this parable that Jesus lays, lays out, he uses money because he knows the debt, the debt that's going to be paid of his life on the cross is, is, a, is a debt that's much more than anything money could buy, but he knows the language of the people. So time and time again, two-thirds of Jesus' parables are, are tied to money because he knows that's the language of humanity. And so here he tells this parable of 500 denarii and 50 denarii. A denarii is simply a, a day's wage for a, for a common uh, laborer. And obviously the one who's forgiven the larger debt will, will love more, will be more thankful. And he's speaking of this woman who recognizes that she was bought with a high price. That for her to be forgiven of everything she had done is no small thing. It's a big deal. For her to be looked at with dignity. And when you and I are adopted into the family of God, God looks at us with dignity. So I created you for something different. And I'm calling you into my family as one who's adopted. We see that there in, in the, the sinful woman. Second, we see a woman who is thankful, obviously. There at the feet of Jesus this extravagant emotional expression of gratitude. You know, emotion is not bad. God created us as emotional beings. I'm I'm not saying emotions are always good and you shouldn't be ruled by your emotions. But when it comes to gratitude, worship, adoration of Jesus, emotion can be a great expression of the overflow of what's happening inside of us. And this woman could not help it. She was undone by the radical grace of God, that she was thankful. She was willing to wash, her, uh, wash Jesus' feet with her tears. You know, for a woman to have her hair undone and braided hair on top of that was, was already a shameful, shameful thing. And there she was washing his feet with her hair. She was thankful. She was adopted. She was thankful. And thirdly, she was an heir. 
It's the spirit of generosity. You know, one who is an heir has a future. And for her to bring her alabaster jar of ointment or perfume, some translations say, this was a symbol of the reality that she's leaving a life behind. And now she has a future in Jesus. And as heirs, as ones with an inheritance, God has a call upon your life and a purpose that's better than your old ways of life, your old sinful ways. God has a better way. And when you have an encounter with that, you bringing that that symbol of your old way of life to Jesus is a natural expression of generosity. God, I bring this to you. I pour it out on your feet as a love offering. She was adopted. She was thankful. She was an heir compared or contrasted to that spirit of poverty, orphaned, entitled, beggar. More and more and more, I want our church to press in to that spirit of generosity because at it is the gospel. More and more, we're overwhelmed with that being our overriding identity, adopted, thankful heirs. So what does this mean for our church? I'll I'll bring this to bear on the the life of our church. We are going to give grace. In the days to come, as we become more and more of a generous church, which I believe God, I believe you're all a very generous church. Together, we're doing amazing things, but I believe there's more. I believe we just turn up the notch of generosity, continue to, to breathe into this, we're gonna see an increase of the, our, our ability to, to give grace, to extend grace to those that walk into these doors. There is no sin that is too enormous, no addiction that is too gross, no person that is too far gone for the grace of God. The grace of God is enough for our city. The grace of God is enough for every single human being in our city, in our county. And we are going to be generous with the grace of God. I want to make very clear that as we, we, as we become a church that's so generous with the grace of God, literally doors are open to anybody. And every week we have all sorts of strange people come in here. Because <laughs> we're a generous church. Come on, come on, come, keep coming. But can I tell you, as we proclaim that message of grace, we're going to be well grounded in the person of Jesus who manifested himself as one as grace and truth. John chapter one, verse 17 says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So they are, those terms, grace and truth, are not mutually exclusive. The church right now is getting caught, drawn into a battle that's an unnecessary battle of feeling like we have to decide between grace or truth. The grace of God never runs out. Here's where the grace of God stops. It's when a person is unwilling to turn towards it recognize their need for a savior. That's where the grace of God stops. So never once in the gospels do you see Jesus condone sin. Never once. So this current twisted teaching that is trying to twist grace to sloppy grace, that twist grace to say that Jesus is giving a pass for us to continue to live our lives however we want. That's not grace. So the Paul, that's what Paul refers to as, as taking the grace of God in vain. Jesus manifested grace and truth perfectly together because the grace, of, the grace of God is always available to us. And the only place it stops is when we're willing to recognize our need for him and turn from our ways and turn towards him as our soul sufficiency. Every time we're willing to turn, he's there. 
and his mercy is enough. There's forgiveness waiting for us. I'll, il- I'll illustrate it in this way, in a very vivid way. Several, several years ago, when me and my wife were out in Seattle, Washington area, was working, we were working in the marketplace and we were part of an awesome church and we started a young adult small group in our home and started connecting with some of these young adults and went out to coffee one day with one of the, the gentlemen from our group and it was a really awesome group, really diverse, some single, some married, some just dating, just a really cool group and met with one of the guys who was married and they're at the coffee shop. We had gotten to know each other decently up to this point, but there at the coffee shop, he began to confess habitual adultery in his life. And not just in a single instance, but time and time again, he continued to go back to these um, sexual relationships. So we, we left the coffee shop, we, we drove over to our church and came up to the front area and we just wept. We wept at the brokenness of the situation. Never once did I doubt in my mind that a repentant man would find grace in Jesus in this moment. I'm not saying his marriage would be salvaged or anything. That's a whole different thing. But I'm saying grace in God, the grace of Jesus is sufficient for that, that situation. It doesn't matter how gross the situation, how far he's gone. If he's willing to turn back to God, grace is there waiting for him. So you fast forward though. God really began to do a work in their marriage. Things got back on track. Eventually, actually, ended up going into ministry, and we stayed connected with them as the years went on. A year and a half ago, though, I received a phone call from his wife asking for prayer. Because here this man had, although he'd been doing so well, and things had been um, seeming like they were really coming together, after a while, he began to hide sin again. Began to turn back to his old ways. And this time... There was this prideful, the spirit of poverty, that prideful um, judgmentalism and stubbornness, rebellious spirit in him. This time, he wasn't turning back to the grace of God. That's where the grace of God stops. It's when we're, willing, when we're unwilling to turn back to him. So the grace of God does not condone our sin, doesn't give us a free pass. The grace of God is always there waiting for us. My heart breaks for that situation still believe for his salvation, and I pray for him on a regular basis. He won't return my phone calls or my texts. But the grace of God is there waiting for him. We're so generous with the grace of God. We're always here waiting for that that prodigal son and daughter to come in, for them to, to come to their senses and realize that God is here waiting for them. So we're gonna be, we're gonna give grace. Secondly, we're gonna give our resources, our time, talents, and riches we're gonna give our resources here in this sinful woman. She, she gave of her resources. She didn't have much to her name in this world, but she gave this costly ointment at the feet of Jesus. And we cannot say that we love God and say that somehow that love for God does not impact our resources. Where our money is, there our heart is also. So we are a church. If you hang out around here a little bit, you'll realize that we talk about tithing. And we do not preach tithing as law, we preach it as life. Jesus did not come to abolish the old covenant, he came to fulfill it. So we, we look at the old covenant and we say, God, what, what are these principles? What's the spirit of the law that comes to bear on our life now in this age of the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? And time and time again, I see as people submit themselves to the spirit of tithing, this principle of tithing, they're set free from the bondage of the spirit of poverty. 
Because if they can trust God with this 10%, he can do more with the 90% you could ever do with your 100%. Time and time, time, and time again, I see people loosed of that, that anxiety of control, kind of that spirit of a beggar. But I hope I have enough for myself. I don't have enough to give to God. I don't have enough to give to anybody else. I hope I have enough for myself by the end of the week. That's the spirit of the beggar. I'm not trying to step on toes. I'm just saying it like it is. Time and time again, I see people set free from that, that, that the mentality to control everything. We, we trust God with our 10%. I see, I see as people experience that peace that's found in that place of actually trusting God with an open hand, that we're just giving what he gave to us. People oftentimes take it well beyond that. And that's why the new, the new covenant we always see as we, as we experience the spirit of the law, it's always raised to another level. So time and time again, and we see that in the new covenant, people like selling lots of land for the sake of the kingdom. So we're gonna give resources for the sake of foreign missions, for the sake of our city, for the sake of those that are hurting and broken. We're gonna give radically. And we believe that out of this church will flow hundreds of thousands of dollars for the sake of the kingdom. In a single year, I believe that. And thirdly, we give, we give worship. We give worship. If you hang out with us around here long enough, you'll realize that we're really passionate about worship because we've encountered something real in our lives. We've experienced a revelation of God's grace where we cannot shut up. We can't keep quiet about what we've experienced. So we have to express it to him in extravagant ways. And I want every single person to experience that. This, this ability to personally express worship to God. That's a big breakthrough moment for people. And oftentimes you'll realize Tony, uh, Pastor Tony did it this morning where he gave time for some free worship. Our main aim when we gather together is to, to corporately as a community lift up an anthem of praise and worship to Jesus. But there's moments where we love to disciple people in what it means to personally, intimately express worship to the Lord. Something only you can do. The reason we love to do that is because when you leave this place, we've just equipped you in something that you can do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. If you can learn to, from your own lips, from your own heart, express a song of worship to the Lord, we've then equipped you for Monday morning because you've learned how to do it. You don't have to have words on a screen or the awesome, really cool worship team with you following you around, although that would be really awesome. (laughs) You kind of graduate from that. And you learn to then begin to express worship from your own heart to the Lord. So we love to give those just moments at different times in our service. We give worship. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and play that song when you walk into the room. Would everyone stand in this place? Very simple response this morning. If you want an increase of the spirit of generosity upon your life, I want us to respond to the Lord. I know in, as I've walked with the Lord, Holy Spirit in his tenderness, his comforter and counselor, the one who draws us into all truth, he's pointed out these attitudes that I've oftentimes embraced in my own life, that, of, of which I label the spirit of poverty this morning. Being orphaned, being entitled, being a beggar. And I want to I get rid of that from my life, and I want to more and more embrace the spirit of generosity. Where we are adopted, thankful heirs. 
God has a purpose upon your life. And as you step in, as you jump into this flow of generosity, God's gonna graduate you to something that, you've, that you never thought was possible. I wanna give us an opportunity to respond this morning. If you're here in this place and you say, Drew, I wanna experience more of that spirit of generosity. What a perfect time of year for us to talk about this coming into the Thanksgiving season and, and Christmas. I believe God wants to upgrade the spirit of generosity across our church. If, if that's you, if you just raise your hand in this place, we're gonna respond to God, hallelujah. Yes, Jesus. Lord, with hands raised all across this room, God, we say yes to this gospel of generosity. The generosity of heaven poured out for us. It was poured out 2,000 years ago, and God, you've just been so abundantly generous to pour it out on us time and time again, to point us to you and to your loving kindness and your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness that's available to us. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us air to breathe and ways of life and material things that we get to enjoy. We thank you, God. So God, I pray upon this church, LifePoint Church in Ames, Iowa, for an increase of the spirit of generosity. God, that we would jump into this this torrent of generosity from our church to impact our county, to impact our state and our country and the world. We want it, Lord. We believe that you're calling us to plant churches, to send out workers and to have a school of discipleship and so many more dreams in our hearts. And we believe that will be the the byproduct of a people that are fully surrendered to you with the spirit of generosity, spirit of of gratitude in our hearts. We, We say yes to you, Lord. We trust you. I believe there's some people in this place that they need, to, they need to start with the first baby step of just tithing, trusting you with 10%. There are others in this place that they need to begin to learn how to express worship from their own, from their own mouth in their own way, uniquely. God, just begin to speak to people's hearts right now, the things you're, you're calling them to in you. We pray in your name. Secondly, if you're here in this place and you know you need to start a relationship with Jesus. The grace of God is here and it's sufficient for you. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from. The grace of God is here. Is there anybody in this place that would say, Drew, I wanna start a relationship with God? Would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray a prayer of salvation. You just start a relationship with God. Is there anybody? If you're joining us online. Awesome. Awesome. If you raise your hand, you can pray a prayer like this. Lord, right now, I come to an end of myself. I recognize you as my sufficient savior, the only solution for my sin issue. It's you and you alone. You're my savior. You're my Lord. I surrender all that I am to you. Place my trust in your perfect, sufficient grace. Lord, I recognize that now I'm adopted so thankful and Lord you've given me a future a hope I'm an heir with an inheritance and so I thank you Jesus for that in your mighty name amen let's give those that made a decision a huge hand this has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week for more resources visit us at livethemessage.org